that I still need her soul. Red, red wine, it's up to All I can do, I've done, but memories won't go. No memories won't go. I'd have sworn that with time, thoughts of you would leave my head. I was wrong. I find just one thing makes me forget red, red wine. Stay close to me. Don't let me be alone. It's tearing apart. AM 1600 KI, the ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Neil Diamond, uh, happy Hanukkah, everybody. It is over, ladies and gentlemen. And sadly for Neil Diamond, it starts later next year, uh, December the 18th. Uh, we're now into the happy holidays, Merry Christmas uh, phase of our holiday season, bringing the uh, festive cheer to you and yours. Uh, Neil Diamond never finished college, was on a pre-med track, picked up a gu- guitar at 16, and instead of uh, spending the $10 to graduate, uh, he wanted to earn $50 a week uh, going to NYU. And uh, you might remember Pete Seeger. That is who he worked with. And that's how oh, he yeah. uh, got all into his music. And now at 80 years young, he is an American original legend. And the intro to this week's Spirits of New Mexico with Jim Hammond and Kevin Petrosi. Good afternoon. Good evening, gentlemen. Oh, that is just a fabulous introduction. That's a great I, introduction. I could, couldn't imagine a better one. I, I love Neil Diamond. I've had a lot of his stuff, and I guess I had not heard that one before, and I can't believe I missed that one. You know, what he's talking not, about is his, his uh, Cracklin' Rosie. It's oh, yeah. not a Cracklin' Rosé, just so you know. It's, <laughs> oh, okay. it's, it's his mother. His mother was Rose. Cracklin' okay. Rose and make you smile. Yeah, apparently that was a happy song. Maybe the happiest song ever about a mother. Yeah. Instead of, uh, yeah, Mama! It, it absolutely is. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I'm, Sorry. A, I'm a fan of, of Neil. Most definitely. You're a fan of red, red wine and his song. Oh yeah. And that song just like, okay, thank you. My friend. We got some red, red wine here today. Uh, an old friend has stopped in. Uh, he's aged a year. Uh, we'll introduce, uh, Mr. Gidal and then, uh, we'll get into some other friends that are here as well. But uh, Jim and Kevin also like to preface everything with some new offerings. And uh, Kevin Petresnik, of course, uh, one of the leaders there of uh, Glacier uh, Southern Glacier Wine and Spirits here in the, the state of New Mexico, which this is the time to be festive. Oh, yes. All right, gentlemen, take it away. Enough of me talking. Well, I'm going to yep. take I'm going to take one minute before we get into this, Jim, because the, because the latest thing that that uh, Southern Glacier is getting involved with. No, I've been no, no, about? no. Oh, whiskey. Okay. Oh, no. No, no. That you're talking about the the e-commerce and the yeah, digital yeah, marketing thing. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's been going on, but they just kind of made a public announcement on it. But okay, yeah. That's kind of cool for small brands that want to get into more. They, you know, if they don't know how to approach digital marketing, so we're offering that right. service now. Okay. Is it? That's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. B to B to you know B to C business to consumer thing. So no, I was looking at the. I was more excited about this week's um, whiskey advocate came out with their top twenty whiskeys. 
of 2021. You know, there's a lot of whiskey hunters out there. I'm actually, we're going to be, uh, mm. you know, this, this, I talked last week about the Albuquerque Whiskey Society. And so there's a lot of people out there looking and interested in these things. So the top 20 list came out and it's, uh, we got a few. Uh, actually, we have the two of the top three. Um, okay. Yeah. The One of them is, uh, no, I'll start with number three is called um, Teeling Black Pits, which I got to do my homework and understand a little more what that's what that's about. Um, but it has something to do with the the peaty flavor that that goes into it. So it's a peated single malt Irish. Okay. So it's oh an, another one they're doing the peat with. Okay, yeah, interesting. So we we don't have that one in the market yet, but when we do, we'll we'll make an announcement when it gets here because we we have a small very small allocation of it coming into the state of New Mexico and it's going to be very coveted. And then the number two. Whiskey was Maker's Mark uh, Wood Finishing Series 2021. So uh -huh. kind of they're doing some experimenting with different kinds of uh, wood staves inside the barrel. They they put the whiskey in the barrel, and then they add extra wood staves to the barrel okay. for that uh, extra maturation. So they're taking a six-year-old six whiskey, and then they're aging it even longer, putting it in back in barrels for about another nine months. And then they infuse that barrel. They put staves, different types of wood, mm -hmm. into that. Uh, into that barrel and, and kind of gives it a unique finish for the extra nine months. Well, essentially, because the, because with wine they use a lot of staves that they do stainless steel. They use those yep. inside to get the same thing. I wonder if they source it from the same areas. No, this is I mean this is staves. It, they're keeping it inside barrels already. Yeah, and then they're adding right. staves on top right. of that. Yeah, I get. It, but I, I was just wondering if, yeah. because that's a standard one they use with wine. With uh, if you're using stainless steel, or so some of the plastics that they use, then they use that. Okay. So they're saying that it's in the the release is enhanced by American oak staves that have been toasted uh, only on one side and then added to the barrel, and it amps up the oak influence without without going overboard. So fresh sown oak, earthiness, leather, uh, iced tea, iced tea are balanced by caramel, apple, toffee, and baking spice. A flavor packed oak driven bourbon that wears its proof well pretty high proof too it comes in at uh this one's a 55.1 percent yep. so talking almost a little over 110 on the proof okay um very you know limited edition series kind of a thing but it's kind of cool if you get a chance to check it out it's whiskeyadvocate.com is where you can find the list of all the top 20 uh for this year and they actually there's kind of cool they go back to 2017 so you can look at the lists from the past five years and see which whiskeys were the top whiskeys over since 2017. So it's yeah. kind of a cool resource. So oh, absolutely, and especially for us guys. Yeah, people like to look at this list. It's very coveted. Um, there's there's a couple more on here that made our but in the top 20. Um, there's a Bib and Tucker from the Deutsch family that made the top list. There's a, uh, a Nika Pure Malt that we carry. So some interesting picks out there to uh, to look at. There's a the uh, Wild Turkey uh, Masters series. You know, they call it the uh, Master's Keep series number one is a brand new offering from Wild Turkey. So, oh boy, good stuff to look at. So, if you're out there shopping for holiday gifts, now's the time. And people are looking for that cool special holiday gift a bottle, nothing better than a bottle of whiskey for a holiday gift. Yeah, don't wait for those ships to come in, no. folks. <laughs> no, get it now. Yeah, exactly. Treasure hunt now. Okay, good advice. So, what we're talking about now, of course, is Hardy Wines for the Holidays part two. Well, there were just so many to go over. We just couldn't do it in just one part. In fact, it just kind of worked out that way. And in fact, it was Kevin that brought a wonderful Knights Valley, uh, Barringer Knights Valley, uh, 2018, I think it was, yep. Reserve, which was awesome. 
Um, that would definitely classify as in our hearty category. And again, if you didn't catch that show, well, shame on you. But if you didn't catch that show last week, uh, just to review a little bit, when we talk about hearty wines, uh, again, when people just generally classify wines, sometimes they try to do one or two words that'll kind of give you an idea of what the wines are, are, are like. Hardy is the typical one. Um, and in fact, it almost always means a red wine. Uh, when you talk about hardy, those kind of go together. Usually higher alcohol, um, but anything in the 13 to 16 range could classify that way. Uh, it's part of it is the, is the mouthfeel. And that means including the tannins that you're going to get in it. So more tannins are part of what you can ex- ex- expect because it's going to in- enrich the mouthfeel that you're going to get from it. And uh, sometimes they label them as rustic wines. That's another term they'll use for it. Uh, hardy, earthy um, are all terms you would typically use to describe these types of wines. Uh, the opposite of this would probably be a refined or elegant or smooth wine uh, where the tannins are more reduced and, and everything else is put in a different kind of balance. But this is that time of year when these kind of wines really come to the, the, the fore. You know, in the, in the summertime, uh, a big hearty wine might rub you the wrong way in summer heat, you know, un- unless it's late in the evening and it's cooler inside and then you can enjoy it more. But winter's chill, oh my goodness, these are the wines you really want that just warm your insides and just give you that wonderful glow that just, that even if you don't have a fire going, you almost can imagine one doing that. So, and of course, the foods that are going to go with this are typical from this time of year also. So you have the, obviously the, uh, the beef roasts, the lamb roasts, uh, that people are doing the, the hearty soups, uh, stews that are, you know, laden with root vegetables, carrots, turnips, beets, potatoes, by the way, if you haven't done it, add beets to your soup. If you want to make really enrich it, it's amazing what just adding a couple of beets to a, a, a soup will do. It's quite amazing. We do it all the time, obviously. And of course around Christmas time. I'm usually doing either a beef Wellington or a prime rib that definitely calls for a hearty wine. And, uh, so, and of course, if we, if we change our mind, do a leg of, uh, a leg of lamb or a lamb roast, well, you're going to have a lamb stew later, which is also hearty. So basically a lot of the foods that you're going to have along with the kind of weather and something that's going to really warm you up. These are the kind of wines that you want to enjoy. So, when we uh, were, were, were doing these, we were thinking about type of, of uh, wines to choose. And so last week we did a Cabernet Sauvignon, which just makes classic sense. Um, and this, this time we're doing a Zinfandel. And again, we try to let you know these right off the bat so that you're not, well, when is he going to tell us the wines? So <laughs> this one is uh, Sauvignon Estate. Uh, if you heard that term before, we've done this a number of times. In fact, this is a different vineyard than ones we've done in the past. Amador County, 2019 Zinfandel. Uh, that's one of my favorite areas anyway for uh, a Zin. that really nicely balanced. They just do everything right. And so, so bon, of course, is uh, almost all of them are sold at Total Wine. And because I happen to love that, this particular brand, I keep going back there and getting another ones. This one is Rocky Top. And it is uh, 14.5% alcohol, so it's not over the top. Uh, but it is, the flavors are very much that it's, um, it's got really good acidity, which surprised me as you know, a lot of times with a big red wine, you don't get that much crispness, not Christmas, crispness <laughs> in the wine. So 
you really want a Christmas wine for Christmas, right? That's right. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Just checking over here with oh, Kevin yeah. to make sure he agrees <laughs> with me on that. <laughs> Sorry. That was my, yeah, I know. That's my, that's my pet peeve. It's okay. You can have as many pet peeves as you want, as long as you keep coming back here, buddy. Uh, so anyway, so the, the one thing we want to do is maintain the balance though, because you don't want one that's too alcoholic or too tannic, uh, to, to where it's really going to interfere with, with, uh, it's food pairing capability, right? So you want good, uh, crispness or acidity to go with it. And you, you want a nice balance of tannins. In fact, when you're making a wine like this, uh, if you have a higher alcohol, you really want to do more extraction typically, uh, so that you do kind of balance things out so that the extra tannins then can actually absorb the extra alcohol you have there. So you don't get that burning sensation in your mouth, uh, you know, when, when you're sipping on wine, both of these wines, of course, are perfectly balanced because of that. They have uh, both really nice, um, acidity to balance it out. Really good tannins. They're both really well extracted, really delicious wines. And of course the other one, since I mentioned that one is, uh, from, uh, Gigal, uh, G U I G A L. Uh, this is one of the biggest producers in the Rhone, particularly the Northern Rhone, but I think the Southern Rhone too. They, they're just all over there. Big, big producer. Um, and they've been doing great wines for a long time. In fact, I see the label instantly recognizable. It's a very, uh, in, in, uh, very detailed. In fact, uh, did you check out the picture that I put on the, on the script, the last day, last day or last page? Yep. Isn't that amazing? This is a, a view of their chateau right on the Rhone, on the West bank of the Rhone. Well, that doesn't suck. Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. It's <laughs> like, okay, I, I could spend some time there. You betcha. So yeah. anyway, that's what's depicted on, on the label. And I, I, I would do the same thing. So this one is the Saint Joseph, um, Joseph to you. And, uh, this is a, yeah, come on, let's just do it. Like they wouldn't have had St. Joseph. Okay. You can go find it that way. Exactly. Let's, let's let, let people be, uh, <laughs> you know, we're Americans. We can do it. We can say it the way we want. Exactly. And they're both 14 and a half percent alcohol. So that's, as I say, a nice balance. Um, and, and very, very, they're very different though, uh, very expressive, very different versions. You can pretty much tell one's California and one is, is French, uh, just from the, the taste components. You have more, uh, pencil lead in the nose on the San Joseph. Um, and, uh, that's part of the density that comes out there. Uh, both these are wines that we could keep open for another two or three hours and they're still going to be going strong. Unfortunately, we've already gone through most of the Soban. But that was because Kevin wasn't here to begin with. That's because you guys started without me. <laughs> yeah, we started without you. Sorry about that, Kevin. That's all right. You know, right. It, it happens glad sometimes. Glad you saved me a little. <laughs> we we did. Right. I said, That's no, save some for Kevin. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so the grape choices that you can go for. Uh, so uh, again, most of these kind of wines are, are going to be from medium to high tannin. Okay. That means Pinot Noir, Grenache, Barbera, Gamay. Malbec, Carignan, and Cabernet Franc are all low tannins, believe it or not. I know they can make some big wines, but they are lower in tannin um, and, and profile. Medium tannin, Tempranillo, Zinfandel, Berlot, Syrah, and Sangiovese. So the two wines we have here are in that range. And, of course, last week we had a Cabernet Sauvignon, which is definitely high tannin. Uh, Tanat, which is a really interesting 
uh, grape that we should probably explore on the on the show sometime. Uh, Petit Bordeaux, typically a blending grape uh, done in Bordeaux blends. Petit Syrah, it's a really big wine all by itself. Nebbiola, wonderful ones from the Piedmonte area, the Barolos and the Bavarescos. And then you have the Monastrel, which is what it's called in Spain, makes really big, rich wines in Francis Mouvedra. Uh, so the, the big Bandol uh, wines uh, are mostly really old, old vine Mouvedra. And as you remember, that's the M in GSM. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So, uh, again, these can be blended or they can be single varietal. And then finally, the Alianico. Uh, we had a couple of those. Yeah, I remember we did those. Those were really awesome, weren't they? And those, yeah. uh, that was a big hearty wine. It's interesting that, you know, you, would, you wouldn't, I guess just a natural thing, right? Petite Syrah has more tannin in it than Syrah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just your natural inclination would think that it wouldn't, right? right. Just by the name, by right. the naming of it. Of it. And why think, did oh, they give it a petite, why did they call it that? Why they, I don't know. why they Small berries. There you go. Very small, very intense berries. Okay. So again, you had a very high skin to juice content yeah. on, on those, which is kind of fills, uh, feeds us into the next part is part of what makes these hearty is the great maceration. This is the processing of it. So how long this, that the skins are in contact with the juice is one fact because you're going to extract more tannins. Right. And, um, and, and, and more richness, it's going to uh, increase the mouthfeel. And then it's, uh, you could use the Sanye process if you want to intensify it that way. Same thing, you're actually reducing the, you're, it's, you're taking off the first juice, the free-run juice, so you're intensifying the remainder, and the ratio of the skins to the, the juice now changes. Or you could just use the very small berries. Uh, again, as we said, the Petit Syrah, very small berries, so... And Zinfandel is kind of like that too. I remember when when uh, I actually planted some uh, in our place in Los Altos from uh, Congress Springs Winery when it was in, in business, and it it finally we finally got the first harvest after a couple of years. I was really excited about that, and I said, "I wonder what these things are like." Okay, so I popped one of them out. I said, "Oh, okay, it's a lot of seeds, it's a lot of skin, and not a lot of juice." Okay, <laughs> so this is not the kind of grape you're you're going to just but on, you know, just going to eat, right? No, no, that these are wine grapes. Okay. So be, be aware of that a lot of seeds, uh, a, along with everything else and a lot of skin to juice content makes the best wines, particularly the red wines. Okay. So one of the other things when I was checking about hearty wines, cause I wanted to get, you know, different inputs from the internet. One of the things I first came across was the saga of hearty burgundy. In this case, Gallo Hardy Burgundy. Mm. You, you you probably remember this wine, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> this is like yeah. This is the one that kind of like you know, yeah, it was everybody on everybody's table. It was. It a- absolutely was. It was actually one of the most popular domestic Hardy wines uh, that Gallo did. Uh, and and it's it's. I, I don't want you to think we're going into jug wine territory. That one obviously was. Uh, really, we're we're looking for for wines that are just naturally. Hardy. No, we're going to save that for our box wine show. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around to see if Eddie is there. I know. I said of... it because he's not here. But oh, I want, okay. And I and I like to see you cringe <laughs> when I mention it too, because I know I know that just makes you cringe every time I say that. It doesn't actually. Um, I like to get a rise out of it. It's a, it's a little gaslighting. It's a I like good, to do. It's a good picnic wine. I like to gaslight 
the situation yeah. every once in a oh, while. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, it, but by the way, you can still get these. Total Wine has a Magnum for under eight bills. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and but by the way, the, the new one has it has a new gold label, limited edition on the bottleneck, so it won't scare away your wine friends. And I think it still has that glass handle where you can actually put your finger in. No. Some, oh, some of them do. Some of them. Some of the. I don't remember. Not maybe not that brand. Maybe like Peter Vela. They're or trying something. to make it not look like a jug wine. Oh, okay. If you have a jug handle, it's jug wine, right? Yeah. If you don't, then uh, well, I don't know. It could be anything, right? Which is. You remember those big, uh, big? It was either the big glass handle on it, or or a hook, or a hole where you could put your finger through it, right, to carry right. it. Yeah. And I, I always got my finger stuck in that, so I, I didn't <laughs> like those. Anyway, uh, so the now it if it says Hardy Burgundy. Guess what? It almost never had Pinot Noir. <laughs> well, it's just no surprise, right? It's American. I think market. they were referring to the color. <laughs> when ah, they is said, that what it was? Yeah, oh, Burgundy. Burgundy color. Yeah, oh, Burgundy okay. was just a description of the color. <laughs> That <laughs> really had nothing to do with the wine. Uh, okay, <laughs> that would make more sense. <laughs> it, usually it was Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, and Carignan was what they typically did when it was introduced in 1964. Uh, uh, reading more into this, and this is an interesting article about this, uh, from the Pinot File and the Prince of Pinot. Yes, that, that's what he's called, the Prince of Pinot. Uh, he was talking about the fact Joe Roscioli uh, initially sold his estate Pinot Noir to Gallo uh, because there was little market for Pinot Noir in the early 1970s. Now, I don't know if, if you know Rochelle or not. I don't. Ever, uh, they make some of the best Pinot Noir in the world mm. uh, from the R Russian River area. When I first heard that, I went like, oh, no, I don't think I wanted to read that. But anyway, so uh, also John Vesigalupi uh, uh, recalled that the bulk red wine that he got from a Sargasio facility in Hillsburg also went into the hardy burgundy. I know that's almost not to make you shudder, but uh, thankfully most of it was not Pinot Noir, so we're really thankful for that. Okay, this is from this is a quote from the Pinot uh, file. Quote, hardy burgundy became widely popular and widely praised by wine critics, even those who usually turned their nose up at the sight of a Gallo label. The wine graced the cover of Time magazine in 1972, an issue devoted to the booming California wine industry and noted Los Angeles Times wine critic Robert Balser wrote in that feature, Gallo Hardy Burgundy is the best wine value in the country today. <coughs> Hardy Burgundy outscored more expensive California and French reds reviewed by the Times panel of tasting experts. I question these tasting experts, but there you go. And American quickly embraced the wine as a result, and it was largely responsible for bringing America to wine. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll give them that, that it was value. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. I won't argue with the value part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anything else we say? Mm, okay. Eh, questionable. So, like I said, the the first one we're doing here is is the Sobana State Zinfandel. And, again, we mentioned before in the show a number of times when we talk about it, it's that the uh, origin of Zinfandel was Croatia. And, of course, that this was uh, discovered only recently. And... Uh, they, it also was the home of Primitivo. In fact, we did a previous show talking about Old World and New World Zinfandel, which most people say, how is that possible? Well, the Primitivo is a wonderful Italian red from the southern part, the, the Pugli area. And uh, so we had one of those on the show, and it was actually quite wonderful. Very, you know, they, they, had, they come from the same place, but they evolved in different areas. 
and they so they that changed them of course so they're actually clones of each other and in fact in in california they've they've uh, actually imported a lot of the primitivo clones so if you go to castoro cells for instance which is one of my favorite pasarobas areas they have they 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 uh it's an italian family too so that they were doing a lot of zinfandel and then they they started growing some of the primitivo from the clone and then after they got the response from that was so dramatic, they increased the yield, the, the vineyard acreage four times. Are they, are they calling it, are they keeping the Primitivo name yes. in, in California? Well, not all or of they, or they, or they Or yeah. when, it, when they bring in the clone, are they yeah. changing it to Zinfandel? I think most likely they're, they're going to, because it is going to have a little bit different taste. It's earlier ripening, yeah. for, for one thing. Uh, so it's, it doesn't work so well here in, in, in New Mexico. Because early ripening is not good because we usually have that late frost. Right. And so, but in California, it's perfect. And I've, I've tried both of them. In fact, I bought bottles of both. And the Permitivo that they do is as good as any red wine you can imagine. Really good. So anyway, so it's, it's becoming very popular here too. And they keep, they keep the name? They keep the Primitivo yeah. name in California? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's all, that was my point. Is like, are they, are they changing the name? Because it... Once it comes over to to the United States, can they keep the Primitivo name on it? The only reason they wouldn't is if they were trying some, they say, well, let's add a little bit of this to okay. our, our yield. But if you're doing 100% yeah. Primitivo, uh, you would want to do that because uh, people are, you know, the Primitivo is, is getting good name recognition too. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's considered a little, I want to say a little higher quality, but a little, but yeah, it's more, it's old world. Yeah. It's the old world name. Right. right. Exactly. So, um, and, and that's pretty much the, uh, and of course, the other thing that has changed over time is that at, at one time, of course, uh, you know, a lot of the, the cuttings that came from Croatia, uh, came to California during the 1850 gold rush. And when people were not as interested in gold anymore, when it was panned out, as it were, they started using this to, to grow the grapes. It became the most popular, uh, grape in California until prohibition, which kind of wiped them out, uh, to some extent. And part of that was the fact that Okay, so so now a lot of these people want to stay in business during prohibition. Uh, well, you could either do make wines that are for, uh, you know, for uh, Catholic uh, ceremonies and things like that, or you could say it's for the home market. So we just say, okay, we're packing in some juice for you here, and uh, I think this is one of the things that Mondavi did is he said. Okay, now when you take this this these this juice here, be very very careful that you don't do these next seven steps because if you do these next seven steps, it'll become wine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's literally what 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 they did. But the thing was, the uh, Zinfandel grape uh, was pr- prone to rot, so if you're transferring it any distance, it was a problem. So Alicante Boucher became the signature grape during the home market phase, but. The thing that one of the things that saved it, believe it or not, was white Zinfandel. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Right, the great uh, story of Bob Trincaro and yeah, yeah. And in, in, in fact, the the vineyard he, he did that at the Deaver Vineyard is one of the oldest vineyards in Amador County, where this wine comes from. Mm-hmm. So the creation of white Zinfandel was in the heart of Amador County, which is kind of ironic in a way, I think. <laughs> and uh, but anyway. So it's basically, you know, white Zinfandel still sells six times as much, but a lot of it, let's face it, is is from the Central uh, Valley, which is jug wine territory, right? You don't 
usually get classic wines there. They um, use a lot of chemicals and stuff on them. They 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 uh, overproduce them. I don't and, think I've ever seen a expensive or top quality or top shelf white Zinfandel. I don't know if I've ever seen one. Have you? Have you ever come across something white Zinfandel that that was considered premium luxury? In no, that scale? no, 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 not premium luxury, not yeah. in any any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but neither I, have I. I, I mean, there there are some places other than the Central Valley where you can get a decent one. Right, right. But a lot of times, that's more in what we would classify as a Zinfandel rosé. So, if we look at the, there's a lot of different styles of Zinfandel. Okay, so you have the white Zinfandel we already mentioned, very short skin, uh, skin contact after the crush, uh, usually fairly high residual sugar. So yeah. they're not designed to be sweet soda pop wines. Okay. That's what they are. But a lot of people love them fine because that means a lot of people were buying wine. And from there, a lot of people migrate from there to something a little bit more robust. Yeah, it's a gateway wine. Exactly. And that's, that's fine because more people we have enjoying wine, more wine that's available for us. <laughs> I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, an actual Zinfandel Rosé is done differently though. It's going to be finished dry uh, minimal skin contact, very much like any other rosé wine, but they aren't that popular compared to the other styles that are out there. Zinfandel Red, normal extraction, dry, balanced, 135 to 14.5%. We could classify the Soban pretty much there. Um, the Claret style uh, is done more like a Bordeaux Claret. Uh, Gergis Hills and Milagro Vineyards, our local winery here, do that style. So they're they're, they're doing it again, with more structure and, and, and not as high in alcohol. And then you get into the big zins. These are the jammy, heavy extraction, ripe or overripe grapes. These can be from 15 to 17%. That's right, up to 17% in some cases. And these are not the best food pairing wines, <laughs> I would say, with, uh, with, with most foods. But if you want something that'll, that'll just jolt your, just rock your world, some of these will certainly do that, and I've had a number of those. Yeah, hang on to the, your uh, your brie cheeses and and all that for uh, for these big wines. You know, something that's going to coat your mouth with a lot of this uh, will uh, melt the, the a fatty one of those flavor. Will, one of these will melt the cheese we've got here. Okay, yeah, you put it, <laughs> you, just you know, have some of the fatty cheese coat the mouth, and yeah. then take that that big zin and well, a, a big cheddar and aged cheddar. I, I I would suggest over a brie. Yeah. With one of those. Oh, yeah. Something yeah. sharper, a little more. Yeah. 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 And and then the last one is late harvest Zinfandel. Uh, so overripe grapes, residual sugars uh, can be 15% or more. I've got a Soban. I picked up the same time, a half bottle of the Soban mm-hmm. uh, there. And of course, they don't do this every year, but when they do, you should grab one. This is like, it's port-like, but it is still Zin. It still retains all the flavor of the grape. You know, with, with port, you've got the alcohol that goes into it yeah. you know, because it's it's a... Yep, it it changes the the flavor profile, but when you have a Zinfandel late harvest, you're getting all the intensity of that wine and all the flavor, and and it's it's they're they're pretty amazing. You've had a few of those, I, right? I don't know if I've had a late oh, harvest really? Zinfandel. Oh, oh, you you have to do, you have to do one. Got to add least. that to my add, list. Add, absolutely. Yeah. Or if, or if man to swing by on on Christmas Day, I'm going to open one of those. Okay. <laughs> so where can you get this, uh, these wonderful wines? Well, we obviously mentioned this, this one. So the Sierra foothills area, as we define it is two areas, Amador County and El Dorado. 
County. And these are both pretty much in what, what we'd call the gold country area. Fascinating area. If you have never had a chance to tour the area, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, the, I have been there. Yeah, the, the wineries are somewhat spread apart, yeah. but, oh, it, it's an adventure going from one to the other. Uh, that's at Amador in particular. You, you would swear you were in Tuscany. I mean, really, they have the, the Roman villas designs on some of them. There's, there's smaller um, wineries, usually not big, uh, but Montevini is probably the biggest one there, I think. Mm-hmm. But m- most of them are a lot smaller. And they're just wonderful places to, to visit. And you go up, and, and most of them are located right on the top of a hill. And it, it just reminds me of so much of, of Tuscany. It's a great area. And so, not surprisingly, they do great Zinfandel, great San Giovese, and great Barbera. In fact, I, I would stack their Barberas against the best in, in Italy, really. So if you haven't tried any of those. I have. I have tried some of the, yeah, we have a, a bear, Barbera from uh, Terra di Oro. Uh, yes, that's a good area. Fantastic. Yeah, they, they do. Those are just really wonderful wines. They're, yeah. they're actually bigger uh, and richer than the ones you get in Italy. But uh, anyway, and then the El Dorado area, very similar to it. Uh, but this about 64 wineries there in the entire area. Again, really spread out. Uh, from Sacramento, Lake Tahoe, elevations go from 1,200 to 3,500 feet. And uh, we've sampled some of the wines around there, and they are very distinctive of the area. Really, really interesting wines. Santa Cruz Mountains, um, I spent a lot of time in there. I, I mentioned I, I sourced, you know, I, I grew grapes from from that area. And they there's only nine acres they devote to it, but they do some astonishing, very different, well-structured Zinfandels that I just love. And, of course, in Sonoma County, all over the place, Dry Creek Valley, yeah. Alexander Valley. Uh, Alexander Valley is, does some really intense ones. Uh, you, you said you toured that area, too? I've been there, yeah. I've been through, been, been in those. In, that, in it, so you got one major road that comes out, yep. and, 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 you just, and you just, yeah, it's a wonderful area. So that the yeah, first. I was on my way up to uh, Geyserville. Okay, Sonoma, yeah. Yeah, up to uh, the Francis Coppola winery. Oh, yeah. That's a fun one to go yeah. to. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, be, being a movie. Yeah, Eric's shaking his head. He knows. He knows yeah. that's fun. Yeah. yeah, that's a. Yeah, that's like I always, I always, I always describe that one. I liken that to like that's like Disneyland, for of wineries. Oh, it is. It is <laughs> definitely Disneyland. <laughs> you know, you walk in, the gates open. You know, your music's playing. You got the, you know, you. It's like you step back in time. There, it's a too. lot shorter lines too. Not yeah, as exactly. Long as, not as long of a wait. <laughs> You're <too>. right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, you go the, the cabanas, poolside. It's like it's like you step back into night into 1955. It's like a time machine. Yeah, a little bit, but it's kind of cool. A lot of artifacts. A lot of Coppola's movie artifacts are there. Yeah, well, so that's, you get to yeah. tour through the the winery is almost like a little museum too. It's well, cool. that's that's when the first place I went to. It says I'm going to check upstairs, then I'll come down and check yeah. the wine. So yeah. that that was me. So yeah. Uh, Sonoma Valley, right obviously yep. another area. Yep. Uh, so, so the uh, that that's that's where you get the Kenwood and Ravenswood, that have been popular for a long, long time. And uh, finally, the Russian River Valley. Uh, there's some, some warm areas there where you can get really nice, very structured zins as as well. So a lot of areas there. Then of course you got Passerobus, which we just mentioned. Uh, a lot of zin. That is zin country, boy. Uh, the Castoro Cellars is a really good one. Uh, there, there's just so many good wineries that do just really big in your face Zinfandel. Uh, if you want Hardy, that's where you would go. And if, if you want the, probably the most expensive ones, you go to the Napa Valley and, uh, the, the, the ones in the, in the Valley I'd like, but the ones in the mountains, Oh my goodness. Uh, how mountain Zinfandel 
is something else. It is it is it is as elegant and and wonderful as a, a cab that you would get from there. And Mendocino County, uh, again, more known for their Pinots and their and their uh, Chardonnays, of course. But there's one interesting area they have there, uh, and this is below Anderson Valley. It's called the Mendocino Ridge. This is a non-contiguous AVA, American Viticulture Area in America, with only peaks above 1,200 feet included where they're going to grow the grapes. So it's, it, it's, if you ever look at it, um, it's like you're looking out over a, a sea of foam, which is the fog, and on top are these little mountaintops, and that's the AVA. <laughs> it really is. So it's, it's but basically... If the region covers a quarter million acres of mountain land, but only 75 acres are grown with grapes. Wow. Imagine it's just all that, but they're all kind of unique because of that area. And I still have not found a wine from there, but boy, I want to try us in from there. If I that's, can. Uh, that's one area I haven't been to. I haven't yeah. been to Mendocino. From the 18, that's from the early, from the 1850s is the first time they started growing the Zinfandel up there. So yeah, well, well uh, check, Check with your guys. See if they've got anything from there. Okay. The we'll do. Yeah. That that is the is the is the what did I call it the uh, whatever I called it. Anyway, yeah. That that's the the Mendocino Ridge. Mendocino Ridge. Yeah. Mendocino Ridge. Very interesting. Uh, Lake County is another up and coming area. It is. Uh, they're really starting to do some fascinating things there. Uh, Clear Lake is in the middle, which is a, a dominating influence on Lake County. That's why they call it Lake County, I'm sure. Largest inland body of water in the state of California. So that's obviously going to be very imposing. Yeah, I was telling you that, uh, and I mentioned this, I think, once before, but Kenwood is starting to do some experimental um, combining of county wines. Instead of instead of just calling it, naming the varietal, uh-huh. they're actually adding the name of the counties. that They're, they're calling it the Discovery Series. Uh-huh. And so... For example, the Sauvignon Blanc is is listed as Lake Sonoma, so they're sourcing grapes from both Lake County and Sonoma County, and so it gives you what it, what it does is it gives you a better idea of sourcing. They're not just calling it California, right? They're getting a little more specific with the regions they're sourcing from, which I think is kind of cool. Oh, it, it gives uh, it gives gives the consumer a little more information on the wine. Yeah, obviously, I, I would second that being a wine geek. Um, so yeah, at the uh, and the last one would be Lodi, which is one of the oldest, has some of the oldest Zinfandel vines. And it's, at one time it had about 65% of all the production of Zinfandel was in Lodi County. It's somewhat less than that now because it's popular everywhere. But they, they were always one of the biggest producers of just about everything. Yeah, and that's where, that's where our, our friends at Trincaro, that's where their uh, facility is, is housed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the main production facility for uh, Sutter, a lot of the Sutter home wines. And as well as their distribution center, all of our wines out of California come come out of Lodi. Yeah, it's a big big area. And, and of course, in in the past, Lodi wasn't necessarily known because basically all the grapes were sold by other producers in other areas. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, all the guys who were growing the grapes said, you know, they tell me you make a lot more money if you make the wine than sell the grapes. Mm. Let's try that. And of course, they have what eighty wineries there now. It's a lot of bulk wine coming yeah. out of there. Yeah, there's but still a lot of bulk still wine. Still a lot of bulk yeah. wine yeah. that comes out yeah, of there. Yeah, the, the, there actually is. So, But there is also some magical ones yeah. there. Oh, absolutely. I liked. I loved when I visited that area. That was kind of a cool. Yeah. 
So Amador County, like we said, this is the, the, the reason for the Sosovan. We've been doing this for a while. So this is a, uh, this is a, the Sierra foothills. The, the interesting thing about it is the, is the San Francisco Delta. This is the area just when you get past the, the main Bay area, a lot of the rivers that feed that area and it gets a lot of, a, a lot of almost marine influence as a result in that particular area, which, uh, which makes it pretty spectacular. I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but we do have about probably about 15 minutes left. Okay. So I want to make sure we do have time to talk about Syrahs and, and the St. Joseph as well. I know you had a ton of information on the Amador and Zinfandels and we can go on and on, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk no, about no, the Syrahs. We, so. You're absolutely right. Cause I can, little, 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 I can just keep going, going on. So let's swing to the Syrah, the Syrah area. Shiraz. Uh, okay. So this is Syrah and Shiraz. Uh, again, same grape. Uh, the fact that the Australians wanted to call it that they actually had another name for it early on back in the 1850s when, when, when they were also making a lot of wine then and they called it Hermitage, oh. which unfortunately upset all the people in France in the Hermitage region of Northern Rhone. They are so sensitive. And, uh, yeah, they really are. I said, no, no, you can't call it that. That's our area. Okay. So sensitive. So they said, okay, we're going to call it Shiraz. And then people says, is that like in Persia? I said, no, no, no. But it was actually in, it was later that uh, they, they discovered, in fact, 1999, they discovered that the, uh, the grape was an offspring of two obscure grapes from southeastern France, the Dereza, a red, and the Mandus Blanche, a white. And that was our good friend, Carol Meredith, UC Davis, who is the one that basically perfected the thing of using DNA uh, typecasting to figure out, because a lot of things just from ampelological um, information, which means uh, that, that means uh, we're looking at the grape size, the leaf structure, everything like that, trying to get some. But then a lot of a lot of grapes are very similar in those structures. So the only way to know for sure the identity is with DNA, very much like everything else we've done. And uh, and of course, Carol was also the one that came up with the with the fact that the Primitivo and the Zinfandel were also the, the same uh, same DNA. So really cool. So the the grape the grape of course is very influenced by where it's where it's cited. Uh, so you found a good site for it, you're going to have good wine. Period. Uh, moderate climates like the Rhone, you get medium to full body wines. This one is a definite full body wine that we have. Uh, medium to plus high levels of tannins, notes of blackberry, mint, and black pepper. In hot climates like the Barossa Valley and McLaren Vale. Uh, the, you get really big, full body wine, softer tannin, uh, jammy fruit, spice notes, licorice, anise, and earthy leather. And in fact, uh, a, a couple of these wines are some of the most expensive in the world. So, uh, that's another great area. And in fact, uh, we've enjoyed some wines from the Rosa Valley in the, in the past on this show more yes. than once, I think. Oh yes. Oh yeah. It wasn't that the, um, the boxer. No, the, yeah. The, yeah, the boxer was from there, right? Molly Duker. Molly Duker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Molly, Molly Duker, which is one that Eddie loves. So I said, okay, I'll check that out. So, ooh, I can see why you like that one. Okay, so the area we're talking about here at Northern Rhone, there are a lot of uh, crews in CRU in in uh, the Rhone. So rather than using first, second growth, third growth, or premier crew, grand crew, the highest quality they have is sometimes called an AOP or a crew. And so these are the top, ones you can get the one you're probably familiar with from the south of Rhone is Chateauneuf de Pape 
And in the north, you have Colt Roti. I already mentioned that one. Yep. 100% Syrah, uh, sometimes up to 5 or 20% Viognier in the blends. Kind of unique. 60 to $400 a bottle. This is primo stuff. The San Joseph, uh, great values, about 95% Syrah, 9% white, 28 to $90. So this is the really value area, and I was really glad that, that uh, Kevin brought one of these. The uh, Emmerich 76% red, 24% white. Uh, the grape planted since 500 B.C. that was actually named after a crusader who settled there on Hermit Hill. And it was about, an, about a month ago we did the Hermitage, the white. Yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And, oh. and yeah, these go from 60 to 300. So, again, the Cote Roti and Hermitage are the, yeah, the, the most one, expensive. The one we had was about $150 white, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, was, they, they can be pricey. really up there. Yeah, Very was, pricey. Yeah. And the, the Crow's Hermitage, which is right across from the San Joseph, is, uh, is 92% red, 8% white. Uh, bearing quality, but in 20 to 60, $60 range. So this is kind of like the cheap person's uh, Hermitage. And Cornas, you did one from there before. I don't yep. remember. Yeah. And, and that was really a nice one. And then Condrol, Chateau Gullier, and saint Pierre is mostly white wine production. So those are the ones you're going to get into. Uh, San Joseph is really a fascinating area. Uh, there was a, I'm try, trying to think of the, uh, it was, uh, I can't right now think of the name uh, you, you have on, on your sheet uh, where I, I sourced some of the information from, but it was, uh, anyway, I can't remember then, but it was a really good article, talked about it. So the, the AOC for this one was 1956. It's about 2,500 year history of winemaking here. Uh, Louis Twelfth loved the wines from here. And even Victor Hugo mentioned uh, in the, one of the wines from here in Les Miserables. Uh, I don't think he sang about it, but someone else did probably later on. Uh, original vineyard was St. Joseph. It's owned by our good friends, Guga. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the, they're the ones that owned that first uh, vineyards that was identifying the name. About 920 uh, hectares, which is about a little bit over 2,000 acres. Uh, Sarab is the principal one there. Also at Marsan, Roussan, those are the white wine grapes. Um, and uh, you can put about up to 10% white in the Syrahs, but almost all of them, including this one, are 100% Syrah. They're really proud of their Syrahs. Yeah, like, so, why, would we, why would you want to do that? It doesn't even seem to make sense. It, it does for, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes they want to add some acidity, and they use a nice acidic white okay. in it and keep it from being too heavy. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's, if you can put it in a $400 bottle of Hermitage, I think it's probably a good idea for some people anyway. Anyway, so it's, it's, uh, so, and it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a really big area. Um, it's the second, uh, most in, in production to the Crow's Umbertage, but it has the widest area. It is 40 miles on the Rhone on the west side. Hmm. A lot it's on the east side. And it's the only one oriented with a west orientation. So Cote Roti is southeast. Uh, Umbertage is totally south facing. So this is very different. And, of course, the lower part of it is exactly where uh, Gigal is located, which is kind of interesting. We, we already – I showed you the picture of that. Oh, yeah. I saw that picture. I said, I got to put this That's in here. That's beautiful. So <laughs> he could look at it. Make sure you One, post that picture on your on – your, Oh, I, I, yeah. I will I will definitely do that yeah. when, when I do the blog for yep. it. Yep. So the soils are limestone, sand, uh, pebbles. 
20 to 50 years old vineyards, um, average yields, 38 hectoliters per hectare. That's very low yield, by the way. Very, so it means that you're going to get really good intensity, but they do put out 222,000 bottles on average. So it's available lots of places, which is actually a good thing, I believe. So and Jeb uh, Dunnock gave it 92 to 94 points. I guess depending on the day he was tasting it, I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Creme de Cassis, uh, Blackberries, Crushed Violets, Earth. That's pretty close to what we're getting here. And uh, so th- this was your wine. What, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, it's, it, fits, it fits exactly what, what you described. Yep. You know, it, it can stand up to a hearty meal. Mm-hmm. It's a nice full-bodied, not too overpowering on the alcohol. Just a, a well-balanced wine. Yeah, I mean, and you can definitely taste the style difference of the you know we, the more you taste these side by side, if you get the opportunity to, and to our listeners is, you know you you can you can definitely you'll probably be able to tell an old old world from a new world uh, just by tasting them at some point in your well, yeah. in your in your path. You know, maybe not in the very beginning, but it, the more you taste, I I can now taste the difference between old world and new world when I taste the wines. Yeah, well, we've done a few shows where we've done yeah. old world, new world, which what those are really fun because mm-hmm. it, it because you know, we talk about it, but it's when you taste them side by side, you oh, I get it now, uh, some of the difference, and they, and I, I probably tend more to the old world. Uh, I started more in the new world. I, I think when you're younger, you start more in that, but as your palate ages, I'm not saying getting better, but as your palate ages, it gets to where you, you want something that's not so. Heavy and big and brash. Yeah, I think the misperception is that, you know, old world is going to be more expensive. And it's not always the case. Not always, no. You can find good value in comparable, um, you know, European wines that are not that are not going to be as, a, a, they're going to be just as good and not as expensive as as you would find here yep. in, the, in the United States well, the, or yeah, South America even. That's part of what, what we try to do in the show is point out some areas where you say, oh, you yeah. should check this area out. And like this, this one in particular, the San Joseph, uh, this is, is an area that you should be checking out if you, if you get sticker shock when you look at a roti. Right. Uh, so, and, and still getting really good quality without the name recognition yet. Yeah. If the, if you're, uh, if the person you're talking to in the store is pointing you towards the coat roti, then you can say, ah, you got something from San Joseph, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a little more in my. My price range, right? You're gonna find anything. I don't know if they don't. They wouldn't. Would they carry anything from this region at uh, at, at Trader Joe's? I'm curious. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Usually, when I'm looking for wines for the show, I don't typically go to. I love Trader Joe's for the wines they have there, but I'm looking for specific wines, and I want to go someplace that has good inventory. Yeah. So Total Wine, for instance, they got a lot of wine there. Yeah, Trader Joe's. I mean, Trader Joe's is good, but they just tend. You're right. They don't have quite the selection no. as some of the other stores. But they have some good deals. Yeah, and um, I would go to you know, Q, you know, Kelly's or Q Package or any of those places yep, in yep. town, Paradise uh, or Jubilation. Our yep. friends over there, right? You're going to find good selection at those local places as well. Yeah, find and, a good balance between you know supporting local and supporting big box. Yeah, and and the thing too is is you go to Trader Joe's. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have as much money and you want to get a good wine, uh, but. You have to know a little bit about the wine. If you're not sure about wine, if you're still kind of like, uh, I don't, don't know what would be the best thing, go to the places that Kevin's suggesting because there you're going to get personal attention. Um, and, you know, you can flag someone down at Trader Joe and it says, oh, yeah, that's the red wine. 
Okay, fine. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if, if you go to one of those places, you're going to get people personally guide you around and, and, and find out what, what it is you like and then find a wine that will be good for you. So it's worth paying a couple extra bucks for someone, especially when, you know, I've got a lot of knowledge about wine, obviously, so I can feel I can go anywhere and pick out something that's going to be good. Right. Uh, but gentlemen, in the last five minutes, if I may, I'd like to ask Jim about something he said earlier for amateurs like me, since you're bringing up uh, stuff that we don't know, I'd like to, uh, I, you mentioned something that uh, some wines aren't as good for a food pairing. I'm wondering what makes a wine not as good for food. Good question. Um, and in fact, it's, it's basically you want something where the acidity level is lower, uh, may, maybe almost non-existent. Uh, that, that's the liveliness of a wine. It's what we call giving it lift. Um, and the other th- and the, also the acidity is, is part of what we need for food pairing. You're having some food and you have the wine with it. The acidity in the wine helps marry the flavors of the food and the wine together. If you don't have the acidity there, you don't have that alchemic element going on that really, or that catalyst that really makes it work. The other thing is you have too much alcohol, um, then it's, that can weigh down the wine as well. And you get a kind of a burning sensation in the back of your throat, which throws off your whole palate on everything. So when we say balance, we say not high alcohol, not overly done tannins unless they're already integrated into the wine. So if you have something that's, that, that uh, tastes like you got coffee grounds, it's just not going to be as exciting with most food you're going to have. So, so you want something with good acidity, uh, uh, good alcohol that it's balanced in it and anything, whether it's a white or, or a red, that's always going to be the, the best for food pairing. And you also, have right. to, you also have to consider um, the type of food you're having. Right. right? So if you have spicy oh, yeah. food, you want something sweet to kind of balance that heat. You know, there's a, there's, I, you know, I remember when I was taking my W set two exam, they asked a lot of questions about um, if you have this kind of food and this kind of wine, a different kind of wine, X food and Y wine, you know, what is it going to do? Is it going to, you know, is it going to make it taste? Is it going to make the wine feel hotter? Is it going to balance it? Is, you know, it's really, there's, there's a, there's a science to it. Oh and, yeah. And a chemical yeah. reaction, which is just, you know. And, yeah. and with, and with lots of spicy uh, food, it's not spicy, food, but if you have a lot of heat, heat, if yeah. it's a heat kind of spicy, that's difficult with any kind of wine, really. Right. Uh, I, I usually don't drink a lot of wine if I really, something's, you know, where smoke's coming out, out of my ears. I was just like, no, I'm not going to try wine with that. I want a lot of water now, okay, or milk or something. <laughs> sure. I'm not going to do, so it depends. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I know, I just know what I like, and, you know, I'm I'm open to any pointers and any kind of knowledge. You you men are definitely some some well, wine scientists, and I'm learning, well, I'm learning I, to I, trust I, the science. I appreciate the questions. At being a teacher for about 45 years, if there's one thing I love is getting questions. I told Jim he's he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah me too. Here's another nice one for you. Uh, you ever tried a white wine in, with asparagus? Uh, not that I can recall. Oh, if, you would know because you say, wow, those are really bad together. What you have to do with something like asparagus because of the flavor element of it, you add lemon to it if you add lemon to you, you, you try it without it first with, yeah. with a white wine then try it with the lemon you'll be surprised that balances the acidity in asparagus so now pairs wonderfully with a white wine huh. it's one of the more challenging vegetables to try to do but Did not to, know that yeah that's a uh, fascinating jim 
<laughs> we learn something every day when we're with you. Got to trust the science. Yeah. Trust the science. Trust. <laughs> uh, is that what we're talking about? Thank trust you for the that, science. Eric. Yes. Trust, trust the science. Hey, do you have you have you selected our going out music yet? I sure have. Are oh. you all you all ready to close it oh, out? I think we are. If yep. you are, here hit hit you with this. All right. Sounds like a little flamenco going on. Jazz manouche, gypsy jazz. Nice. I'm going to give it, before we listen to that, I'm going to say thank you to Jim for putting together another great show here on another lovely Saturday evening on the Spirits of New Mexico. Hope you, everybody out there, enjoys their week. Be safe out there. Uh, Be smart. If you're going to drink, don't drive. Plenty of ride options. So we want everybody to be safe and have a get through the holidays and enjoy themselves without overindulging. Absolutely. And don't let that wind blow you away. And we will see you next week. Next week, 1600 AM, rockoftalk.com. You betcha.